Hey, everyone. Welcome to After the Last Dance. I'm your host, Russ Bankson. I'll be joined by co-host Alex Wong. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Soul Savvy team for giving Alex and I this space to chat about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Soul Savvy is a sneaker platform and community that provides you with the tools and resources you need to beat the bots and successfully purchase the products you want for retail. For more details, please check out soulsavvy.com. S-O-L-E-S-A-V-Y. Before we get into our regular discussions today, Russ, um, I thought it makes sense for us to just address the audience and talk about this amongst ourselves a little bit. We've been recording these episodes, um, you know, before and while these police brutality protests are happening all across America and honestly all across the world right now. And, you know, those are the most important issues at hand right now, um, whether you've been affected by them, um, you know, directly or indirectly. Um, you know, I feel like these are issues that everybody should be aware of. Everybody should be listening and educating themselves on. So, um, you know, I just want to let everyone to know that, you know, I didn't want us to, you know, banter about, you know, the 99 bulls and, and how terrible they are without, um, addressing these things. Yeah. I mean, we've gone from having the last dance kind of unite everyone in in a, you know, COVID-19 world where everyone just wanted to be distracted to now, you know, what is on TV every day or on Twitter every day is something that we really don't need to be distracted from and something that, quite honestly, all of us should have been paying a lot closer attention to all along. Um, you know, it's, it's frightening and horrifying that we would go from Eric Garner to George Floyd in six years and having basically nothing change. Um, the feeling on what's happening out there now, whether it's in New York City or in Minneapolis or in Michigan, is things aren't going to stop until something does change now. You know, I think what we're doing here and what we will be doing when we go back to talking about basketball, I, I think there is room for distraction. But at the same time, I think it is important to note that we're having these discussions in a world that hopefully is changing and hopefully is finally changing for the better. You know, you could say six years, but you could also say 400 years. Yeah. You know, it's been really discouraging to see, you know, the police brutality that is happening at these protests. And, you know, I'm sure uh, you've seen the assortment of videos and I'm sure everyone who's been online have seen, you know, the, the different, cases that have been happening. But, you know, I'm with you in that, you know, from just talking to people uh, this week, and there's just a general feeling, I do feel like, you know, unfortunately, it's had to get to this point for people to reach their breaking point. But it feels like everybody is, is united in having this conversation and not moving off it until there are concrete changes. Um, and I think that's important right now, too, for, um, people to see not kind of like, um, you know, the end game, but more like what this can lead to. Right. Um, and I think seeing those, uh, steps, you know, those changes that are going to happen, um, does keep me optimistic. And, and you know, I think for me, um, you know, this week I've been spending a lot of efforts, um, just focusing on donating to uh, different organizations. I know not everyone right now, um, you know, if you have family or if you're just not comfortable personally because of the coronavirus, you might not be out there protesting uh, with the people uh, as you want to. But, you know, I do want to encourage um, people who are listening that you can still contribute from afar and, you know, different donations. I think, um, I think, you know, if you want, just look up the Black Lives Matter Global Network. 
Um, it's a quick Google search and you know, the, the websites will be there for you. And obviously uh, I think most of you know how to find uh, Russ and I, if you think that we can be a resource uh, to you and you want to chat, um, I think I speak for you, Russ. Um, you know, when I say that, you know, people can feel free uh, to reach out if, if they feel like we can be a resource. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know I'm certainly not alone in this, but I have a list of funds you can contribute to in my bio on Instagram. Um, you know, it doesn't take much searching to find places to donate. I'm not going to spell out actual websites on here, but um, whether it's local bail funds or, you know, supporting various protest groups, I mean, obviously do the due diligence and make sure they're legit. But um, at the same time, and this is kind of, I guess, obvious coming from a podcast, but just listen, you know, and I don't mean just to us, obviously, I would love you guys to listen to us, but listen to people who are protesting, listen to why they're protesting. Don't layer your views or thoughts necessarily over it. Like now is the time to listen to what other people are saying. Yeah. And, you know, on that note too, I think, um, I've been, you know, doing a lot of, you know, reading, just learning about um, black history in America, because, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of things um, we might know kind of the larger points, you know, people like to talk about uh, Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King, but there's a lot of black history in America that I feel like, especially in the U.S. school system, people just weren't educated about and, you know, not learning and understanding those things specifically, um, like the Tulsa riots. Um, you know, in, in the 1920s and things of that nature. Um, I think without that full understanding of the history um, of, of why, you know, people are hurting and where this inequality comes from, um, it's hard for people to have that real uh, empathy for uh, what people are going through and have been going through for a day to day. So um, I just want to make one more suggestion. You know, there's a local um, independent bookstore here in Toronto called a different book list. And they're carrying a lot of these books right now. Um, it's actually, actually they went a little viral this week um, online and a lot of their books are on back order. But you know, if you want to support a, a local in independent store um, here in Canada, uh, I would recommend a different book list um, in Toronto and just, you know, read, there's a lot of resources online, free eBooks, um, you know, different articles. Um, you know, I, I do encourage everyone to take the time, like you said, Russ, to, to not only listen, but to continue to educate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I think Alex actually pretty much covered a lot of it there. Um, I'm trying to remember, I believe it is, and this is why I should write things down before we do this, but, um, Haymarket books is another good one. Um, they have a, pretty solid Twitter presence and uh, you know, a lot of their catalog is really applicable today. Um, I would say also hunt down if you want to keep this basketball related, Bill Russell's second wind is an incredible autobiography, you know, from someone who I think by all possible metrics, quote unquote, made it yet still suffered the same problems that, people are suffering today. I mean, he has a whole thing about being pulled over in Los Angeles in his Lamborghini, you know, by a cop who just saw a black guy driving an expensive car. And as long as these problems continue, you know, I hope these protests continue. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you want bulls related, um, I haven't read this book, but I ordered it this week. Uh, Craig Hodges um, has a book um, called Long Shot, uh, The Triumphs and Struggles of an NBA 
freedom fighter. Um, I think some of you might already be familiar with Craig Hodges' story, but if you're listening, you know, to learn about the Bulls and the last dance and all of this stuff for the first time, um, he was not in the documentary. I know we spoke a little bit about this, um, but uh, he's definitely someone that everyone should uh, look up and read about. Agreed. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to After the Last Dance or After After the Last Dance, where Alex and I continue to discuss the fallout of the 97-98 Bulls and you know, what became of the teams and where the Bulls went, where the, where the players went. And, you know, in this episode, we're going to talk about what would have happened if they brought everyone back for the lockout shortened 1998-1999 season, which just turned into the 1999 season. You know, we'll, we'll join the lockout already in progress. Phil Jackson having resigned in June and then the lockout having begun with nothing else having happened and everything being in being floating. In reality, Michael Jordan retires on January 13th. What this podcast episode presupposes is what if he didn't? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting hypothetical to get into. And having, you know, thought about this for the last couple of weeks, I've definitely changed my stance. I feel like initially I was just like, all right, if, if Michael and Phil are back, it doesn't matter. They're going to figure out a way to win. But I do think it's definitely more complicated than that. And we can definitely talk about it. But first, you know, I, I feel like, Russ, before we even get to this hypothetical, we should talk about just how difficult it would have been in reality, even if the Bulls wanted to bring everyone back, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think from, from a multiple, from a variety of reasons, you know, obviously the money being one thing and, you know, just the fact that these guys weren't getting any younger. Obviously there were guys were having physical issues. Guys were having Dennis Rodman, emotional issues, um, you know, bringing it back to go again and try and win a fourth in a row when guys, when all the main guys were in their, in their mid to, you know, getting into their late thirties, wasn't going to be easy. You factor in Jordan snipping his finger with a cigar cutter. I have no idea how he did that. You know, if he just thought his index finger was a cigar, I, I, don't, I don't know how you do it. But he managed to slice through a tendon. And as the story went, he would have missed the first two months of the season. And given that the entire season was only three months, you know, the Bulls would have had to go through a sprint of a 50-game season without their best player for most of it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think there's an argument to be made there of whether that might have worked out for the Bulls in, in terms of maybe Michael gets uh, an extended rest, doesn't have to deal with the grueling schedule and assuming that he could come back and, you know, get back into shape for the last 10, 15 games of the regular season. But that would have been a huge impediment. And the other thing, obviously, was Scotty and the last dance talked a lot about his contract issues you know scotty risked um his whole body uh in game six of the 98 finals to, to help the bulls get past the finish line and in reality obviously he gets a long-term deal in a sign and trade and goes to the rockets i feel like that would have been the biggest impediment if the bulls were trying to bring everyone back is you obviously weren't going to give scotty that long-term deal i don't think if you're bringing him back but do you think there was any way they could have convinced him to come back on a short-term one-year deal for a large lump sum payment? I don't think they could have done that. I don't, I don't think there's any way Scotty came back on a one-year deal. First of all, they would have had to give him a massive one-year deal if at all possible. I don't remember exactly what the, uh, 
you know, what the lockout meant in terms of signing your own free agents. I don't know if they could have given him, you know, the Jordan size $30 million one year contract, especially if they would have had to give Jordan, you know, the commensurate $40 million for one year deal. The salary cap was 30 million that year. And if they would have had to pay 70 million to two guys, you know, even for a team that made as much money as Chicago, I don't know how you make that work, you know, and even if Jordan had agreed to take the veterans minimum that season, a million or whatever it would have been, you know, accepting the fact that the 65 million he made over the previous two seasons was sort of his, you know, make good. I think Scotty would have still wanted long-term money. And the only way to do that would have been some sort of under the table deal that would have given him like, okay, look, we're going to give you a one-year contract this year, but when this year's up, we'll sign you to whatever the max deal is and send you wherever you want to go. The risk with that obviously is getting stuck caught in that Joe Smith, Minnesota situation where you end up losing basically all your draft picks and, you know, the, the punitive damages are terrible. And I don't think Jerry Krause of all people would have wanted to risk that because without draft picks, like why even bother being a GM? Yeah, and I think when people talk about this hypothetical seventh championship that the Bulls could have gone for, I know, and we've mentioned this too, about the age of Michael, uh, Scotty, and Dennis. But to me, it's more about the aging core group that was around them. Um, you know, if you take a look at guys like a Ron Harper, Luke Longley, Steve Kerr. Now, I know some of them, like including Kerr, uh, did go on to have a few more productive years in the league. The problem was, and you've mentioned this, the salary cap was like, what, $30 million at the time? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and being 30, uh, 30 million at the time, if you were trying to just even add on the fringes, once you give Michael and Scotty their money, like you weren't going to bring in anyone productive. Like I think it would have been Tony Kukoc playing more minutes. If you assume that Scott Burrell came back, I assume Scott Burrell is one of the younger guys on the team would have gotten a lot of minutes as well. Um, and then you have to fill the hole at uh, point guard because Ron Harper uh, is aging. So that might be more minutes for Randy Brown. So when you're looking at that roster, even if they brought back Michael and Scotty, and if you, even if you want to say Dennis as well, uh, the bigger concern for me wouldn't be those guys, but it would be the guys around them, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Scott Burrell leaves regardless. I mean, you just just, just rewatching that 97-98 <laughs> season, I feel like, you know, you only undergo that Michael Jordan hazing for an entire year if you're going to make some real money and get some real minutes somewhere else. So for my money, Scott's out. I think a lot of the older guys also are gone. You know, Joe Klein was pretty much finished. John Sally was finished. Dennis Rodman was basically finished. I mean, I, I, think, I think even if Jordan came back, unless he insisted on Dennis Rodman being part of it, which given their history, I'm not sure if he does, you know, I think you kind of have to look elsewhere for a power forward and for a rebounder. I don't have it in front of me who, was free agent, who were free agents that year. I think Antonio McDice was. And I know, you know, he was the uh, – Oh God, who, who, who was it? Who was the Clippers who were barring the door? Was that DeAndre Jordan? Yeah. DeAndre and Blake famously during that, that off season, you know, Antonio McDice was basically that guy that year. And there's a story in that oral history, the 99 lockout where, you know, guys from Denver and guys from Phoenix all converged on him in Colorado in the middle of the winter to convince him to sign, you know, could Chicago have made themselves part of that? 
obviously, if Jordan comes back, if you somehow convince Pippen to come back, you know, all of a sudden you do become a more uh, attractive destination. The tough part is, though, if you're building around Jordan and Pippen for one more championship, how much of your future are you willing to mortgage to bring in a rebounder? You know, how much is Antonio McDice going to look at Chicago where it's like, well, you're probably going to be a third option behind Jordan and Pippen. And then the following season, we don't even know what we're going to have. You know, to me, I think Phoenix and Denver end up being more attractive to you as a free agent destination. You know, if, if you're just looking for someone to be, play the Dennis Rodman role for one more season, you're really limited in who you're going to be able to get. Yeah, you know, Jerry Krause has said, and he's been very adamant about this, that the reason why he wanted to push for the rebuild, one of the main reasons, was because team doctors had told him that, you know, uh, there wasn't much left in the tank for Dennis and Luke Longley. And his explanation has always been, if we don't have a serviceable four and five in the starting lineup, even with Michael and Scotty, we can't win. Um, I'm wondering what you make of that statement. I think that's fair. You know, obviously, like, you don't want to rely too much on those guys. And, yeah, you do need an elite rebounder and front court defender um, to take a lot of pressure off. I I think, like, if Jordan had come back and he missed that much of the season and essentially, you know, for Jordan it would almost be, other than being in basketball shape already, sort of more like the 94-95 season where – you know, he misses most of it and basically gets a tune-up before the playoffs. First of all, I don't even know what their playoff seating would have wound up being. You know, you pointed out Scotty played a career high in minutes in 98-99, but shot a career low percentage, you know, and kind of had a rough season in Houston. I don't know if he has a much better season in Chicago. You might even have, he might even have more pressure on him because he doesn't have Akeem Olajuwon and Charles Barkley playing alongside of him. Even if the Bulls were able to sign Brent Barry anyway, Scotty would still have to carry most of the weight to even keep them in playoff position until Jordan came back. You know, and I, and I don't know who picks up the rest of that. Yeah, the seating is, is such an interesting hypothetical too because I'm looking at the top eight teams from that shortened season and the gap between the number one and the number eight seed was six games. Um, the Heat were the number one seed at 33 and 17, but Miami, Indiana, and Orlando all had the same top record. And the Knicks got into the playoffs at 27 and 23. So, given that parity that year, and given Michael's uh, injury, and given the age of that group, if they came back, I think it's a pretty valid assessment that the Bulls might not have been a guaranteed top four seed. No. No, and the playoffs that year obviously were crazy because the Knicks upset Miami in the first round, you know, and then Ewing gets hurt and they still managed to get through to the finals behind Camby and Sprewell, basically. The Bulls would have had a tough time with that team too because the Knicks, you know, when they did make it through, they were a running team. They had Allen Houston. Like, the the Bulls being, obviously, <laughs> they would have been elderly at that point. So... You know, and obviously the Knicks would have been raring to go for that matchup. You would have also had Indiana, who would have been thrilled to, you know, get a chance to sort of refight the 98 Eastern Finals. You know, obviously the Bulls had a target painted on their back their entire run. 
So it wouldn't have been that much different, but I think they just would have been that much more vulnerable. Yeah, and I think, you know, to me, and this is not to discredit the Knicks' run to the finals. I mean, that was incredible, uh, especially as the eighth seed and knocking off Miami in the first round on that Allen Houston shot. But, you know, obviously in this hypothetical, you know, maybe it's Bulls Pacers, uh, whether it's in the second round or, or in the conference finals. And I feel like the Pacers bringing back pretty much the same team and having had that experience uh, going to seven games with the Bulls, uh, if they were to face off and if the full Bulls roster would have come back, um, I think I would have the Pacers as a favorite, you know, in, in that hypothetical series. It'd be hard to not pick the Pacers, right? Yeah. I think it would be hard. And I mean, I think like you could even go a step further and, you know, given how close all those teams were in the East, given Jordan would have been out for most of the season and, you know, the difficulty in signing guys to replace the ones who left, do the Bulls even make the playoffs? You know, I mean, I, I think like just the way that season went and with a lot of back-to-backs and, and, you know, just – the sprint that it was, you stumble a little bit and you're just gone. I, I, I don't know. You know, the, the more, the more I look at that, like you can look at it both ways where it's like, Oh, it's a shortened season. So, you know, it's a benefit, but I don't know. I mean, just the fact that everything was so compressed, I think that ends up being a detriment to an older team. And, you know, what are the chances of all those guys, Scotty especially, making it through all that season healthy? Yeah, and, and I think the, the other thing that bears mentioning too is, you know, no, no team had four-peated since the Celtics won eight in a row from 1959 to 1966. And obviously that was a whole different league um, at that, that point. And if you want to extend this hypothetical, you know, the Spurs with Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Avery Johnson are the team that end up in the finals and beat the Knicks in the championship. I mean, you look at that 99 Spurs team and, you know, whether it's an aging Rodman and Luke Longley or whoever they bring in to replace them, I mean, Duncan and Robinson would have presented just a completely different set of challenges for this Bulls team. And I don't know if you agree, but that was a better team than maybe any of the other teams that they had faced in the, at least the second three-peat, you know, when, when you talk about comparing them to the Sonics and the Jazz. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been different and certainly a better coach team with Greg Popovich. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, even that, even though that was just the start of the Spurs dynasty, you know, I don't think Pop would have fallen into any of the traps that, you know, other coaches did. I, I don't, th- you know, specifically, I don't think he would have done like George Carl and like, um, you know, left that, whatever the equivalent of the Gary Payton, Michael Jordan, you know, matchup was on the floor because he needed scoring or whatever, you know, I I think he would have made better adjustments. I think another thing that's overlooked is the triangle offense is a super difficult offense to learn. You know, I I think maybe Jordan and Pippen have kind of made light of it that, you know, you could figure it out, but other guys had trouble with it for a really long time. And, and whether it was guys in the Lakers or, or other players on the Bulls, so you look at a super, super compressed training camp and preseason, assuming you didn't bring back Rodman and Longley and, you know, you had to fit a bunch of new guys in, I don't know if they would have picked up the system until the middle of the season or even further along. Because, again, playing a lot of back-to-backs, you're cutting out practice time. So, you know, trying to adjust 
to a new system, let alone playing with Jordan and Pippen, might have taken guys until God knows when. You didn't even have an all-star break. So there, there was just no, like, I, I don't know. Like, you didn't have enough downtime to figure things out. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, since I mentioned the Spurs, I pulled up the scores for the 1999 NBA Finals. Just to give you a taste of this, Russ, uh, walk back memory lane. These two teams combined in five games to score over 90 points once. Um, <laughs> here are the scores. Uh, game one, 89-77. Game two, 80-67. to Game three, we, it's, a, it's a barn burner, 89-81. to uh, followed by, uh, I, I think back then the commentators would have called this a blowout. Uh, the Spurs won game four, 96 to 89. And um, we, we finally end this classic with a 78 to 77 uh, win. That was the Avery Johnson shot, right? I think I do remember that game. What, what, a, what a classic finals. Uh, Russ, what, what, what would you have to get paid or what would have to happen for you to rewatch those five games in totality? Oh, my God. You know what? I would actually do it. Just because, like, you know, I, I remember going to some of those games and I re- remember being at the Garden when the Spurs clinched. And for some reason, my enduring memory of that is Jaron Jackson in the celebratory visitor's locker room with, like, a massive cigar. Don't know why I specifically remember Jaron Jackson more than other guys, but, you know, who knows? Maybe he was just foreshadowing of his son, you know, becoming a star in his own right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I would rewatch that stuff. I don't think you wouldn't have to pay me to rewatch it, but hearing those scores is just like, man, I mean, that's an era I'm just glad is over. Yeah, you know, I think I always laugh a little bit when people are, are just like, oh, you know, basketball was more intense back in the day. And I'm just like, well, yeah, but also the scores were 65 to 54. <laughs> um, the, the other argument I think this is more philosophical in, in this hypothetical argument is people will say that you don't break up a championship team until they lose. Like we've definitely poked holes in, you know, all the reasons why the bulls probably wouldn't have won a, a seven title, but also you don't break up a team that is going for a four peat, even if they're going to fall flat on their face and they fail. Do you agree with that argument? I agree with it to an extent, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, in a, in, a, in a perfect world, I would have liked to have seen them get a chance to at least try. And as much as the, you know, the rationalization and the reasons point to uh, it not happening, again, it's just really hard to say a team with Michael Jordan on it wouldn't have won, despite what happened later, obviously, when he came back again, because he still missed it. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you would like to see them get another shot. But at the same time, I think, like, you do have to have some sort of cold assessment on guys whether they could do it again. And, and I think Kraus, like it or not, was proven correct as far as Rodman and Longley and some of those other guys go, that they had kind of reached the end of the road. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about, too, that if Michael comes back for that season – and, and obviously that would have been the, the actual last dance with the Bulls to do it one more year. Um, how that changes the remainder of his career too, right? Like, does he go into uh, another retirement or maybe after losing with the Bulls during the 99 season, he goes and joins another team? I don't know. He could have ended up on the Knicks. Like, the possibilities are endless at that point, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Um, you know, and you also look and have to wonder, like, had they decided to try and make another run in 98, 99, you know, do they sign different free agents? Do they draft differently? You know, if they do have to make trades, do they, do they, um, you know, look to that season? Do you still sign Scotty to a longer term contract? Do you still trade him to Houston, but do you try and get someone back who can help you right away? You know, do you trade with Houston for their, do they include their second round pick that year who was Katino Mobley? You know, do you try and do something a little bit different? Do you take Corey Benjamin with the second to last pick of the first round? Or do you pick Nazi Muhammad out of Kentucky? Because you need another big. You know, it's funny that Nazi ended up becoming a bull. I think towards the very end of his very long NBA career, you know, are you able to sort of rebuild on the fly like that? You like to think that Jerry Krause, who obviously was snooping in every corner of the basketball universe, would have managed to come up with some pieces that could have helped. Then again, you also like to think that he would have been able to put a team together for Tim Floyd in 99 that could have at least competed. Yeah, the other fun thing to think about is in that hypothetical finals between the Bulls and the Spurs, um, where would Michael get his personal slight, his personal motivation from? Would it be a Tim Duncan at the same restaurant not saying hi to him? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I don't think Tim Duncan would have said hi to anybody, and I don't know if Tim Duncan would have even gone to the same restaurants as Jordan. You know, in the ultimate hypothetical, I guess, if they bring back Dennis Rodman, maybe Dennis Rodman becomes sort of the, the personal flashpoint for that, where it's like, obviously, he had, there was no love lost between him and David Robinson, um, presumably no love lost between him and Greg Popovich, you know, do they decide like, okay, we're going to do this for Dennis, assuming Dennis even makes it all the way to the finals without either getting suspended for a long period or um, jetting off to, I don't know, to Bali for a midseason break because there's no all-star break. So, you know, he just needs a random weekend off in March that stretches into like April or May. Yeah, um, or it's Tim Duncan walking in in one of his giant-ass, like, baggy outfits with sandals, and Michael just thinks he's mocking him. And Michael's just like – and that's when I took it personally. Okay, no problem. Okay, no also, problem. Also, what Michael what, says to everything. <laughs> what ends up being the – you know, assuming that Jerry Krause really wanted a rebuild to happen – and really wanted Tim Floyd because apparently he wanted him like, you know, almost a decade earlier. What does Jerry Krause do if Jerry Reinsdorf is successful in convincing Phil Jackson to come back for one more year when Krause the season before had said, even if you're go 82 and 0, you're not coming back. You know, the, the guys had given him zero respect already Phil Jackson coming back for another season when Krause had made it abundantly clear that he in no way wanted him back. I mean, he would have had no power at all. He would have been the ultimate lame duck general manager. Yeah, and this is what I always been pushing the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, gets away with a lot of this because he just likes to frame it as, you know, it had reached his end, like we couldn't get there. But like he could have prevented all of this from happening. Um, if he didn't want Tim Floyd, he could have let Jerry Krause go um, a year before or, or two years before. So a new general manager can maybe come in and build a rapport with Phil and Michael. So to wrap this up, I guess, in this hypothetical, uh, we can't be wrong since it's a hypothetical. Um, what's your official prediction for if the Bulls had brought everyone back in, in 99? 
I mean, I don't think they win again. I, I think they get upset somewhere along the way. Um, you know, much as I think there is a remote chance that they actually miss the playoffs, I think they make the playoffs and they get bumped off by, you know, I don't know, pick your poison. You know, I don't know how the seedings end up panning out, but um, I think either New York or Indiana probably does send them home and we get a completely insufferable documentary where Reggie Miller actually does get to talk about retiring Michael Jordan. And oh my God, I mean, I, I don't know if I could have handled that. Yeah, it's Black Cat, by the way. It's not Michael Jordan. He doesn't sorry, call sorry, him Michael sorry, Jordan. Yeah, for Black Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm with you. Um, I think I would have them losing to the Pacers. I think that would have been, I guess, a cool way to, to kind of wrap up that narrative. So, yeah, you know, that's that's all I have for this hypothetical scenario. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add about this I mean, hypothetical I, season. You know, I guess you do wonder how that changes, how that potentially changes um, reputations of people. You know, I think, like, even if the Bulls were weaker, there is something to be said for, you know, if you happen to be the star of a team that finally knocked off Michael Jordan. You know, obviously Reggie ended up in the Hall of Fame anyway, as did – Tim and David and I guess not really anyone from that Knicks team yet, right? I mean, outside of Patrick, who is going no matter what. You know, we do have the the Larry Johnson L four-point play. And it, I was actually in the building for that. And that was one of the craziest moments I ever saw in person. I mean, we can get into this late, in a later episode about something else, I guess. But I'd never been in a building that went from dead silence to complete pandemonium instantaneously like that before. Like it felt like the place was going to fall down. And I mean, poor Antonio Davis, man. I mean, he talked about it a little bit, I think in the oral history of the, of 99, but like that was the longest continuation ever possibly. And I just remember, and Chris Childs talked about it in there. Like, you know, Larry runs out to midcourt, putting the L up and celebrating, and Childs had to sort of get him and be like, dude, you still need to hit this free throw. Um, that's, that, that's what I remember most about that moment is he still had to make the free throw. And I remember watching that game on TV, and they had this, like, wide shot of, of the entire garden, and it's just like you described. Like, you know, when the shot is going up, you know, you know the, the crowd is just dead. And then when it goes in, it's pure pandemonium. And it's funny you mentioned that, too. You know, when you look back at the Pacers, I think people talk about the Knicks a lot in, in terms of being a team that went through a lot of heartbreak in the 90s. The Pacers are up there when you go through all the playoff moments, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the Pacers are tough. And, like, you even look into the next season when they're playing the Lakers and, like, they had a shot there too. You know, you have Kobe goes down with that ankle injury, you know, in the one game when Shaq fouls out and Kobe takes over in overtime – I, they just, man, I mean, they caught the Bulls right at the end when the Bulls were still able to do it and then catch the Lakers right at the beginning, you know, when maybe if something goes a different way, you can knock them off. And like, yeah, and in between they have the Knicks. You know, obviously the Pacers dealt out quite a bit of strife to the Knicks, Spike and Reggie and, and all that stuff, but – uh yeah, I mean, what could have been with them? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned how it could have changed the perception of some of these teams and players. Um, the Spurs obviously won five championships with Tim Duncan and started that 
in 99. But, you know, Spurs are another team that they don't get a lot of buzz, right? Like, like people talk about Kobe's five championships uh, more than Tim Duncan's five championships, probably. And the, the thing is, if, if the Spurs in 99 are the team that, like, knocks off officially, you know, knocks off the Bulls and Jordan, you know, that adds such a significant piece to their narrative as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think some of it with the Spurs, unfortunately, is, like, they never won back-to-back. You know, the, obviously Kobe won his first three in a row, even though obviously Shaq was the MVP of all those three finals. You know, Shaq ends up getting his fourth in Miami. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like if you ask guys, I'm, I'm sure they wish they could have gotten a shot at the Bulls in 99 just to like be the team that knocked them out instead of them just all going their separate ways and like no one getting a chance to – uh you know, establish their own dynasty at the expense of the previous one. Yeah, no, and I think that's a good way to to wrap this one up. So that does it for us for this episode. I want to thank everyone again for listening. You can find every episode of After the Last Dance on iTunes, Spotify, and any other platforms that you use to listen to podcasts. Uh, Russ and I will be back next week. We'll continue deep diving into the post-98 Bulls from different perspectives. Just want to give a shout-out again to Soul Savvy for giving the two of us a platform to talk about all of this, and we will catch you on the next episode episode and obviously you can find either of us as well as soul savvy on twitter and uh you know if you guys actually have topics you'd like us to to dive into as we continue on this after after the last dance and you know possibly after 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 the last dance feel free you know hit us up let us know what what you're curious to hear us talk about um we sort of have a lineup you know lightly figured out but obviously everything can be subject to a little bit of change so you know thank you all for listening and downloading you know across the world as we've seen on the map which is always an honor for you guys to set some time out of your day to listen to us so thank you very much and looking forward to the next one yeah and russ and i um are going to keep doing this until cornell david and Corey benjamin take our roster spots Or until they call up and regale us with stories of that 49-point output. The sneaker game is tough if you're in it alone. Getting the latest pair of hype sneakers is becoming increasingly difficult these days. As soon as you try to purchase, the shoe is out of stock. If you want to improve your skills, you need to learn the tricks of the trade. Be smart and get equipped with the right tools and information you need to help you cop the sneakers you want. Soul Savvy, the exclusive sneaker community.